that's brilliant. I'm just about to start recording, and I leaned on the computer and turned my notes off. <laughs> oh, if it can go wrong, it will. This briefing is from file A56-7W, classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Faster. Lovely, lovely people. I'm Andrew Leyland. And I'm insulted. And Michael's insulted. And we are your hosts on an epic journey into an epic storyline that is epic in its epicness. Yes, tonight on Hey Kids Comics is part two of our look at the Hugo Simpson of the Batman Knights trilogy, Knight's Quest. Hugo Simpson. Hugo Simpson. The unwanted, unloved... Elder or younger brother of Bart who was hid in the attic. Oh, okay. I remember that one. Yeah. It was a Halloween special, I think. Uh, we kick off this show with Batman 5. Wow, no preamble. No. No unscripted banter. We, we have less time this time. We do, that's true. We kick off this show with Batman 501, or 501 if you prefer, which came out on September 14th, 1993. It has, like most of the night stuff, a Kelly Jones cover that is actually pretty eye-catching, I thought. The new Batman stands amidst smoking bullet holes, some of which are in his chest, looking like he's seconds away from opening a can of whoop-ass. Or a can of some guy's face. Yeah, one of Jones's better efforts. He's not wearing the implausibly spiky gloves of death, though. He's just wearing implausible gloves. Yeah, because he wouldn't be able to close his fists like that if he was wearing the implausible spiky gloves of death. He would, but it hurt his fingers. He's still got tiny hands, hasn't he? Dinosaur hands. The story... It's called Codename Mecros, and it is written by Doug Munch, with art by Mike Manley, Adrian Broy. Is that not what I said? You said Necros. No, it's Codename Mecros. Mecros. Macross. Yes. Macross. Robotech. I don't care. It's Microsoft. written by Doug Munch. My Codename Microsoft. <laughs> you will be deleted. You will be deleted. Does not give you. No. God damn, I gotta boot it up again. Adrienne Roy coloured, Ken Brusenak lettered, and Denny O'Neill edited with assists by Jordan B. Garfinkel. Didn't Denny O'Neill write? Batman? He didn't write any of this. No, but. He did write. Was Batman he a writer this. and then an editor? Yes. Right. He was. And like also a, a journalist. Like an old actor who decided they wanted to direct. Yes. Clint Eastwood, Mark Hamill. Well, Clint Eastwood's been directing since before I was born. You heard that Mark Hamill's like me. I, no, I, I, that had not crossed my eyeways. I don't know. No. It was on Bleeding Cool. Was it? And we know what I think of Bleeding Cool, don't we? Yeah. So moving swiftly on, Batman is credited as being created by Bob Kane. So the story begins. Batman receives a visit from St. Dumas, who tells him this is a crusade. Batman believes he is ready. 
In the night, the Macante family are considering a move to the Gotham Underground to compensate for Bane's removal. Batman arrives as two members of a rival family, Verona, are opening a door left open by Mercante's manservants who they bought off. They burst in, opening fire, killing the two men with Mercante. Yes, in Verona will we lay our seat. <clears throat> the aim is to kill the man himself as Batman rocks up and uses the implausibly spiky gloves of death to beat on them. McCanty is relieved to not be dead, but not so relieved when Batman tells him he wants him to be the inside man with the families. After a brief conversation with Robin, Batman heads out to see Gorb, who isn't terribly impressed with the Batman's new methods. Across town, at a meeting of the families, McCanty tells the other mobbed-up leaders that Batman wants him to be his snitch. He says that back in the 70s, a covert agency was working on developing mercenary agents that, with the help of LSD and other mind-expanding drugs, would become the perfect sleeper agents. When Congress shut most of it down, one man became his own handler, an agent using self-hypnosis and other techniques to brainwash himself into becoming the perfect assassin. Why would you be a perfect sleeper agent if you're high all the time? I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's... Who am I here to kill? That guy on the purple elephant? Well, I got that they're not actually making them high all the time. They're using elements of the drug to tap into the parts of the brain that make you more susceptible when you're under the influence of such things. That was my take on it. <clears throat> he will be the perfect assassin, I already said that, for one million per hit. He introduces Mekros. He'll take on Batman and, as a bonus, Santos Verona, who's refusing to sit down and break bread. Because he's not as dumb as he looks, he lays his scene by taking down Fur Verona first. You see what I did there? Yeah. Two nights later, the Batman shows up at Mercanti's house to drill him for intel. His sweating gives it away and Batman ducks just as Macross shoots, missing the Batman and hitting Mercanti. Batman is glad this is a professional. It keeps things interesting. And that was pretty much the plot for Batman 501. Did you have anything of import to say about this issue, Michael? Import? Import. Probably not. No, I'm, I'm wagering that. It, on the first panel, how come that Joker card he's got there yes. looks completely different to the Joker card in all the other ones? It looks completely different depending on which artist is drawing it anywhere. He looks ugly and he looks like he's got no teeth. Uh, he does look like an aged Joker, doesn't he? The, the, spiky, <laughs> the spiky claws of Jack Ripley's teeth out. Yes, possibly. And he, he does look like he's wearing one of those old hats that they used to wear in Dickens films mm. when he's yeah, going yeah, to bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shut up. Uh, page six to eight. Yes. I like how Batman gets things done quickly. He doesn't prance about dancing with fancy moves, he just kicks seven types of crap out of bad guys quickly. Yeah, and the, by and large, pages six and seven are, are, are largely dialogue-less. Mm. It is Batman just taking things down as quickly and as efficiently, and as brutally, it has to be said, as possible. Uh, page ten, pal two. Yes? Am I the only one that finds... That, am I the only one that finds it funny that Batman would say um, detective work bores me in the Batman title rather than the, de the detective comics title. That's actually quite good, yeah. Okay. I had noticed that. Because there is a, an issue a bit further down the line where he does have to do some detective work. Yeah. And he's surprisingly good at it. Well, you know, he surprises himself anyway. That's a good point, that. that in the Batman book, he his detective work bores me. Very good. I'm very impressed. Um, Codename Metcross. Yes. A.K.A. Bloodstorm! Why do you think he's Bloodstorm? It's the 90s and just look at that uniform. It's not blood, though, because it's not red. Um, bloodthirst. 
blood vapour, which makes no sense whatsoever, but very blood few splatter. names. Blood splatter. I like that, yes. I like blood splatter. That could have so been an 80s image comic. Yeah. Very impressive. Or what was it? Ultimate comics. Ultimate blood splatter. <laughs> This Metcross guy never shuts up, does it? No, he doesn't. He splurts out random things. Is he just a robot blurting out pre-recorded sentences? Uh, pretty much he is just blurting out what was programmed into him. The whole point of these two issues... I mean, I'll get into it a bit later on, but mm. they're both the same. Yeah. Batman and Metcross are the same. They have both been programmed to do what they do. So that's what Mench is playing with throughout the entire storyline. Um, Liberty Prime will fall up through. Well, yes. He's a giant robot. He goes out. Communism is the road to death. Yes. That does actually sound like Macross. (laughs) Um, I have to confess I agree with it. There's a small part of me that likes taking no prisoners, Batman. Uh, The first ten pages. He's not portrayed here as being unhinged. Uh, and this is why you shouldn't rely on Wikipedia. This story must take place before or around the issues of detective comics that we've already covered. Mm. Because in this, Robin is still welcome in the Batcave. And he's just setting up the shooting range that Robin looks at in Robin 1. Yeah. Which we've already covered, haven't we? So don't get your reading orders off Wikipedia. No, I mean, in every other respect, it does actually make... M- so far, what I've read so far, I mean, I'm on to week five now. The Wikipedia reading order has made sense. Fair enough. For the most part. Uh, page 12, I mentioned when we covered Nightfall that one of the weak things about this entire story arc is that Gordon doesn't know that this is the regular Batman and that in the novel he knows straight away. Uh, I still think this. I think the comics Gordon isn't as useless as the workshy fop of the TV show, but he is a competent and well-trained detective in his own right. There's... There is a bit of subtext to the scene on pages 11 and 12 that Gordon may suspect that something's going on. But I prefer him just knowing. Mm. I think it would make sense. I mean, Catwoman, I mean, as we'll mention next time, Catwoman knows straight away it's not him. The Joker knows straight away it's not him. Again, as we'll mention in a future episode. But Gordon doesn't. There should be a bit in Night's End where he he takes the police and he'd be Raid Wayne Manor. Well, Wayne Manor's all boarded up and desolate at the minute. Bruce Wayne's not in the country. I mean, if nothing else, it does kind of give credence to the Bruce Wayne isn't Batman argument, I suppose. Page 16. I quite like Matt Cross's design. It is... It's very 90s. I grant you that. But it's actually quite subdued for the time. I'm not sure about wearing white in a war zone. That strikes me as a bit strange. But it's not as dumb as some of the image or Marvel's 90s bad guys. He does talk utter bollocks, though, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, his costume is armoured like Iron Man, and he's full of belt buckles and thigh straps and knives and guns and such. Cause Only it, the Phoenix Rises. Yes, it was, you know, funny. Uh, for the most part, I quite like this. It feels... Like an episode of The Sopranos, but it was made six years earlier. I like Batman versus the Mob stories anyway, and this is quite a good setup for that. Mench has some nice Mench munch, has some nice character moments where Batman dismisses the detective work as being unnecessary, preferring to rely on fists, which makes Gordon nervous. It's not as good an action issue as Chuck Dixon's stuff, and the psychological part of the story, both Metcross and Batman have some kind of mind control going on isn't as effective as Alan Grant's work, but it is entertaining. There's great art as well. Mike Manley's art in this is fantastic. Mm. Especially all the the shots of Mercante. They're really good. I like the shading on them as well. 
Bottom of page nine in the last panel, the shading under his eyes yeah. and under his nose. I quite like that. Am I the only one who doesn't like Batman versus the mob stories? Do you not? See, all my favourite Batman stories are detective whodunit mystery ones. Well, I, like, I thought you liked Long Halloween. Yeah, which is one of those. Is that not a mob book? It's got the mob in it, hasn't it? It has, but it's more of a detective. Right. Like um, Hush as well, and that really long story arc, which still hasn't finished yet, which started in 2006 or something by... Whose name we're not allowed to mention yet. <laughs> Just, just for one episode, at very least. Um, on to Batman 502, which has another Kelly Jones cover and features Batman and Mecro strangling each other in a meatpacking plant. Next to a shark. Next to a shark, yes. Uh, other than Mecro's ribs showing through his armour, <laughs> which makes no sense, this is quite a good cover. Well, have you seen Iron Man's face when Gene Colan draws him? Yeah. He's got I mean, brows and cheekbones. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of artistic licence in this kind of thing, isn't there? Mm. Um, the issue came out on October 12th, 1993, but was cover dated December 93. Again, exactly the same people responsible for it, except Joe Rubenstein, who inked pages 1 through 11. I don't know why he only inked pages 1 through 11. Oh, I don't mind notes before the synopsis. Yes. Oh, right. Don't matter. Oh. Uh, entitled Phoenix in Chaos the story picks up exactly where the last one left off Macross takes aim on the Batman while Mercante's body grows cold at his feet the Batman feels no remorse for Mercante as if he hadn't set him up he wouldn't be lying on the floor right now with holes in him Macross is still spouting bollocks as he engages Batman in fighting McFightenstein Batman easily overcomes Macross at first, knocking the weapon from his hand, but Macross pulls a smaller revolver from his holster and fires. The Batman has fortunately taken the precaution of bulletproofing the cape, but to retain its flexibility he's had to sacrifice impact protection. Knocked to the floor and pinned down, but unharmed, the Batman decides to use psychological warfare against Macross, telling them that he saw the meeting between them and Mercante, but didn't hear him say that they weren't going to pay for the assassin. With Mercante dead, the others are even less likely to pay for his services now. The seeds of doubt planted, Batman sees Macross disappear. All he needs to do now is wait. Elsewhere, were isn't terribly clear, the FBI are concerned that Macross has resurfaced in Gotham City. An agent named Skyler has been sent to deal with the problem. Back in Gotham, the family meet in the restaurant where Mercanti was hit to note that Mecros has killed Mercanti instead of the Batman. They begin to wonder if it was a setup, and Mecros still works for the agency. Outside, the Batman listens in as Mecros arrives, taking the bait. Batman decides to hang back and let Mecros handle the dirty work and then swoop in and clean up afterwards. However, Mecros bursts in and opens fire before agreeing to double his fee calms him down. He gets out the back way, Batman obviously not having that covered, and Batman turns the family members and this recording of the conversation over to Commissioner Gordon. Gordon informs Batman of the arrival of Skyler, and Batman takes off whilst Gordon sees Mayor Kroll. Kroll informs Gordon that he's thinking of publicly backing the Batman due to his spectacular results lately. Batman, meanwhile, is acknowledging that the previous Batman would have taken Mecros down by now and follows Skylar to Mecros. This sounds like an episode of Doctor Who, doesn't it? The planet Skylar is at war with the planet Mecros, but the Daleks are coming in. I've just made that bit up. Skylar is willing to cut a deal if Mecros has the money from the hit, but if not, well, he'll kill him for 100k. Seems the agency are concerned if Mecros is caught, he'll start blabbing about past assassinations, but Batman shows up before another assassination can take place. Mecros shoots Skylar and leaves through a window. 
Batman pursues him into a 24-hour quickie mart where he starts gunning down bystanders. The Batman is not overly concerned with this, only that Macross doesn't get away again and, down amongst the canned goods, Batman takes him down with his own grenade. The Batman ruminates that a win is still a win, whilst we hear Mayor Kroll say that Gordon's department could learn a lot from this Batman's new attitude. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com You have a lot of notes about this issue, don't you? I, I, I do. Do you wish to elaborate? Yeah. Okay. I, have you seen the advert for the, for the Superman story arc in this? Which one? Spilled the, the Blood. Spilled Blood. Yeah, it's got blood in the title. Uh, of the have, you, have you seen the names of the bad guys in it, though? I have read that story. Have you? Yes. High-tech, blood-stort and blood-thirst. Is it any good? Um, yeah, I remember it being okay. I've not read it for a while. The name's like Bloodsport. And well, Bloodsport was in, in a very early issue with the Burn Revamp. Bloodthirst? Uh, I don't know about Bloodthirst. He looks familiar. It looks like a girl. He's got boobies and everything. <laughs> but we talk about the adverts after the issue. Yeah. Although we didn't talk about the adverts in Batman 501, did we? Is that because there weren't any interesting ones? Are we going to go back and talk about the adverts? Uh, no, we're not going to go back and talk about the adverts. Because I don't think there was any interesting ones. Ultraverse. To be honest yeah, we've mentioned that. In Red previous, Hot. We've mentioned that in previous episodes. Comes with lava cover. <laughs> Go on. So hot it will burn your hands. Go on, carry on. Page 5.5. Yes. Hey Luke, I'm Batman. I've got a torch on my chest. Is that not an Iron Man trick? It is, yeah. Having a torch fly out of your I'm chest. Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man doesn't have it out of his chest. Yeah. He has it out of his belt. Yeah. So from the wrong angle, it could look like he's shining his, his spider penis at people. <laughs> yes. His little spider. His little spider, yes. Boy, it seems stupid of Batman having a torch. On his chest. Yeah. Or a flashlight. Yeah. So, who can Batman I hide in shadows? Light! Light! <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. yeah fair enough. Although, if he's dazzling somebody with the light, well, you can't see him. So he's still in shadow. Yes. Don't put holes in my logic! Uh, page 7, panel 3 to 4. Yes. We're 
that guy there. Yes, the two FBI agents. Yeah, the one the FBI is like, say what? 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 I I find that quite funny, to be honest with you. What with an extra A in it. (laughs) Just for that extra emphasis. Yeah. All that emphasis. Page page 8, panel 1. He's Batman, right? Yes, he is. He's Batman. He's got a huge cave full of technology and costumes. That's pretty much... Technology and cars. Don't forget and, the cars. And cars. And Chicks dig the cars. And he's got this sneaky little listener thingy that's really big and not sneaky at all. Um, how does he? Put, how does he put that in his little Velcro? How does Velcro he carry that around with him? Yeah. I, I don't know. I've no answer for that. It is big and red. Yeah. So it does kind of stand What's out. What's that big red thing over there? That's pointed at our window. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, very good. Uh, page 18, panel 5. Yes. Mad Magazine is on sale here. Is it? Yes, though. Oh, so it is, yeah. Do they still do Mad Magazine? Mm-hmm. Do they? Yeah. Because they don't do Cracked anymore, but it's the website's still very funny. Isn't it a branch of DC? Is it? Is, is Mad Magazine owned by DC now? On the DC website, um, Mad Magazine is on there. Right. Okay, fair enough. See, that, that page that you mentioned earlier on, page 7, where the guy's going, What? <laughs> uh, I was a bit... I showed you. I was a bit confused by page seven. If these guys represent the agency, which actually turns out to be the FBI, judging by the fact that the badges have FBI on them, I thought the CIA was the agency and the FBI was the Federal maybe, Bureau maybe, of Investigation. Maybe, 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 just to confuse people like you. Well, yeah, but that, that's not what confused me, actually. What confused me is that they're concerned with Macross resurfacing Gotham. Then where are they at this point? Washington. Because Batman's outside listening in on the conversation according to that panel there the the dialogue is coming from his bugging device isn't it mm. um, so the dialogue doesn't make sense because if Batman is outside listening in on the conversation then they must be in Gotham so why do they worry about Macross being in Gotham if they are already in Gotham but if you follow the story Batman is bugging a family meeting in the same restaurant where Mercanti's men were shot list issue. And that's what he's pointing the listening device at. Because they're talking about Metcross botching the kill, and it's completely different people in the building. Mm -hmm. And a different building, obviously, because it's the restaurant from the last issue. So either Batman's directional microphone is exceptionally powerful, or the word balloon at the top of page 8 shouldn't have been made to look like it was emanating from Batman's microphone. That should have just been a caption. Yeah. Shouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Is my thinking. Because that makes it seem like the FBI agents aren't in Gotham City. Are in Gotham City when they shouldn't be. Yeah. So that made no sense to me. Page 11, Metcross gets away out of the back door. I'll say that again. Metcross just walks out of the back door. This Batman is really amateurish, isn't he? Yeah. He didn't think to cover the back way out. And he lets Metcross get away again. Bruce Wayne wouldn't have done that. Bruce Wayne would have had Robin watching the back door. Bruce Wayne wouldn't have taken this long to take him down. That's true. And John Paul does actually mention that during the course of the storyline, doesn't he? Only the Phoenix rises. Shut up! (laughs) I'm Adam West, goddammit! I'm Adam West. I'm mere Adam West. Uh, Page 14 where Gordon and his wife Sarah S and are postulating that Batman may be a bunch of different guys is good. Because this, to me, says that Gordon's in denial. Mm. And that he does actually know that this isn't the Batman. And Sir is like, but there could have been many Batmans, for all we know. Yeah. Could, you could have been dealing with a different guy every time you see him. 
that's fair enough. Uh, also on page 15, Kroll still calls Gordon in the middle of the, middle of the night, whilst he's presumably off duty, to come all the way over to his house so we can rake him over the coals. <laughs> this was a recurring thing in Nightfall, wasn't it? Yeah. That Mayor Kroll would just say, Gordon, get over here! And Gordon would go all the way over there just <laughs> to get told <laughs> off. <laughs> If I was God, I'd be telling this stuffed shirt useless politician to stick it up his rectum. I wouldn't be wandering around to his house in the middle of the night when I'm cuddling up with the missus, which is what Gordon was doing. And he's having a, a glass of uh, what looks like whiskey there, so I presume he didn't drive. Mm. So how did he get there? Taxi? Um, the final battle in this issue is a bloodbath. But um, with numerous bystanders and Skylar murdered by Metcross before the Batman takes him down. There's an interesting subtext throughout the story that I'm sure is intentional, given the whole point of this exercise was to show why Bruce Wayne was still a relevant Batman, is that Jean Paul, Jean Paul, is a cipher of a character. There's literally nothing to this guy to make the audience relate to him, as with a lot of the grim and gritty Bullets and Buckles Brigade. In the other books we covered last week, this wasn't as noticeable because Chuck Dixon's stories had Robin in them and Tim Drake is an interesting character and all of Alan Grant's work has psychological overtones. Well, maybe not his Lobo stuff. Possibly. But these two issues centre solely on the new Batman and his shortcomings as a character are only too obvious when you read them back to back. Um, What did you think of that? Um, I don't know. Did you not give it any thought? Not really. Um, well, thanks. I'm pretty sure this is interesting commentary on the other heroes that were running around comics at the time, most of whom seem to have blood in their name somewhere. The art's as good as it was last time, and there's no noticeable difference in having Joe Rubenstein ink the first 11 pages from the rest of the books. But mm, I enjoyed it, and I don't want to say that it wasn't any good, but I enjoyed Chuck Dixon's stuff more. Yeah. To be honest with you. As most of the books are from the same month, there aren't many different or interesting ads this time round. There's a good one for Spilled Blood, which we've already mentioned, a Superman three-parter, with Blood Sport and <laughs> Blood Quench. And, and the Blood Brigade. Blood and the... Wind. And... Hey, I'm going to go take a blood bath. Okay. okay. I'll go have a blood shower once um, you're done. Yeah, but the rest are for games, and not very good games. There's the regular hot ad to tell us simpletons which comics to spend our money on instead of, you know, buying the stuff we like to read that seems more interesting flogging us trading cards than comics. Apparently anything with the Punisher, Wolverine, Ghost Rider or Venom are bestsellers. Oh, okay. That's what I took from the adverts of those particular comics. Fair enough. I thought so, too. Onward! And upward. And spinning. And spinning. 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 Yes. To Detective Comics 669, this has an exceptionally good Kelly Jones cover. A train is hurtling through the tunnels with the Batman clinging in the top with his implausibly spiky gloves of death, which are finally coming in useful, presumably, as the Trigger Twins fire from below in the driver's cabin. And I almost said Twigger Twins again, though. Twigger Twins. Twigger Twins. The colours are exceptional, making excellent use of orange and yellow to contrast the darkness. I think that's a brilliant cover. Mm. What do you think of that one? Um, Batman looks like he's pooing himself. No, he... Doesn't. He looks scared. Do you know he doesn't? Well, the, the, he's got a tiny head. The bit of light on his head makes it look like he's going with his eyebrows. Like, oh. I don't think he looks scared, though. I think he looks like he's just going to take these two no-poke cowboys down. He, he's scared, he is. Mm. This issue came out on October 26, 1993, but was dated December 
1993. The story was called Town Tamer and is written by Chuck Dixon with pencils by Graham Nolan and inks by Eduardo Barreto. The colours, letters and editing were all handled by Adrian Roy, John Costanza, Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. And the synopsis for this one is going to take a little bit of a different tack, just because I felt like it. Are you ready for this Academy Award nominated performance? Sure, go get my guitar and hat. Go and get your guitar. <laughs> okay. Ready? Those no count trigger twins are holding up the subway. One of the tellers gets an itchy trigger finger with a hidden piece. Fit to be tied, them twins fill him full of lead in order some of the poor sap to push a trolley to the exit lickety split. A varmint, sleeping on the sidewalk, calls the police and then takes a helping of the cash in the teller's till. <laughs> Very good. Freeze frame, though. That ornery old cuss, the Batman, hears tell of the incident over the CB and heads off yonder as the dispatch office realized that train 600, due round that time, is out of kilter. Well, the Batman, he's still eavesdropping and he knows that train 600 is code for the money train, see? And being right smart knows where the boys have to be headed. <laughs> <laughs> the twins, meantime, <laughs> the twins, meantime, have met up with the train and forced themselves on board. The Batman, well, he catches up with the 600 real quick and gets a hankering to meet up with this here trigger twins, wondering how they're gonna move nearly a million dollars of cash. Knocking on their back door, the Batman takes some lead, but given that his car ain't no ordinary automobile, this causes no grief at all. Twins, all riled up, fire at the switching box and cause the Batman to mosey on over to another track. Well, don't that beat all. The Batman ain't taking this line down, and on a parallel track, uses his grapple hook onto the 600, fixing to jump carriages. It's a mite painful, but he makes that leap and makes the trigger twins reach for the sky with a shuriken. <laughs> only one of the boys, Tom, takes a hit, but this gets Tad fit to bursting and climbs on top of the train only to have the Batman lasso his weapon right out of his hand. <laughs> Taken to the Arkansas toothpick, Tad heads out, but the Batman breaks his nose with a swift headbutt. With both twins laid flatter in a gander's arch, the Batman orders the train brought to a swift stop. On sure, Dirty Dan Doyle, the brains behind this operation, chose the wrong day to be in on the score as the Smokies are waiting for him. And that's all there is to tell of the legend of how the Trigger Twins nearly took the money train and how the Dark Knight stopped him. Just another average day in Hazard County. I might as with a straight face. <laughs> It's a good job your mum wasn't downstairs today. Yeah. I would not have been able to pull that off if your mum had been watching. <laughs> oh dear. There is an epilogue to this tale in which uh, Calvin Berkowitz from Paragon Pictures meets up with Mr. Kerr for his new film, <laughs> The Death <laughs> of the Batman. Yeah, his first name's Joe. God, you're slow. Um, after doing the wonderful music accompaniment to that Excellent Academy Award winning synopsis. We, we deserve a podcast Oscar. <laughs> we do. Do they do podcast Oscars? A Posca. Oscars. <laughs> oh, I do like that idea. Yeah. It wouldn't be just like a gold man with a microphone <laughs> and um, um, a little computer in front of him yeah. to differentiate him from radio awards. Go on. Uh, page two and three. Yes. I, I quite like the wanted poster on the... Uh, the Bane one. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that in my notes that there's a Bane wanted what, poster. What, what happened to Bane at the end of... Did, did he get arrested? Yeah, the Batman broke him. Right, no, but I mean, did he get arrested? I think he did, didn't so he? So why is he wanted? Well, it's just obviously been up a while. 
There are still posters around for stuff that happened six months ago. People are lazy and don't take them down. Fair enough. Yes. Um, if the route back to the Batcave was blocked off... Yes. Okay. Once he stops the train heist... Yes. How long will it take him to get back to the cave as long as he goes the right way around, unlike he did in that other issue? Well, he's only blocked off Robin's exit. Well, no, but it goes into an abandoned train track. Yes. So how, how does he get back to the cave? Uh, when he goes along, he'll just switch the railway lines. But will he have to go like, all the way around? Yeah, off? probably. Fair enough. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the trouble with the train track, really. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of like, get up and fly. Uh, well, he can't fly because he's Batman. The Batmobile can fly. I don't think this Batmobile can fly. Could Bat train can't fly. Could, could he not press a button and it would like shoot up as a rocket or a helicopter? I don't know. I don't think so. Carry on. Uh, page fifteen, panel two. Yes. Batman surely wouldn't have been able to stand on his bat train at that speed because <laughs> of the wind. Bat train. And wouldn't bat also train. when he shoots his bat grapple train. forward. I'm sure it wouldn't go forward enough to get the train either. Oh, stop poking holes! This is a western dim bulb. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a funny western. Even westerns. Chuck Dixon. Dixon. Not not all of them. Chuck Dixon's playing with a western here. I mean, it, it culminated with a fantastic. <laughs> running across the top of a train while people shoot at him. It's brilliant stuff there, so I'm not having a knock in there. <laughs> Go on, what else have you got to say before I say my bit? And I'm not exactly digging on uh, Joker McCloud. Oh, with his long hair and his ponytail. Yeah. Here we are, the clown prince of the universe. Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 oh, dear, what do I have to say I about... appear to be immortal... The Batman just can't kill me. Hey. I am insane. Therefore, I get out of all these things that I do on a technicality. See that? I even made that rhyme. <laughs> Badly. But I made it rhyme. Oh, dear. Page five, I think, has a brilliant line. Uh, Batman is thinking to himself that Gotham is too unpredictable. You never know what kind of psycho you'll run into. <laughs> Oh dear, was he looking in a mirror when he said that? Uh, page 7 of Floating Newspaper has the headline Batman Hooks Metcross. So that does place this after the Metcross issues. Yeah. So maybe Wikipedia was right, or maybe it was just a miscommunication between the writers. Maybe. That messed it up slightly. Or maybe part one of the Metcross. Uh, well, it can't do because both of them follow straight on, don't they? Mm-hmm. Mm, very strange. Page 9 <laughs> Batman jumps the tracks. Yeah. Yeah! Oh, excited. I wonder if the Batmobile comes with a Dixie horn. <laughs> People won't see him come with that. That would so amuse me, Batman Duke. <laughs> Bat Duke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be Nightwing's funny. just sat on a building, head and hands going, dear God. <laughs> uh, page 11. Batman's coming to Greater Manchester. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, it says that. Switch to the Grand Express line to Greater Manchester. Excellent! I'm going to go watch me some Batman Live. Yeah, well, with Batman Live was in Grace Manchester and Captain America was filmed in Grace Manchester. Mm. So that's quite cool. Uh, I thought this was really fun. I'm not having you dissing on this. It's a fantastic <laughs> conclusion to the Trigger Twin them. story. It's fast-paced and action-packed. And best of all, it's a Western. Um, the conclusion with Batman taking on the Trigger Twins on top of the moving train is a wonderful homage 
to every time this has ever been done. And we have a scene of Batman leaping off his horse the Batmobile, onto a moving train. The Trigger Twins shooting through the roof of the train. Batman using a lasso analogue. And funniest of all, he says, draw to Tad Trigger. This was brilliant. I genuinely laughed out loud when Batman says he was the new sheriff in town. (laughs) Oh, God. A great issue. No psychological stuff. No angst. Just a fantastically funny story that was well told. Did you even like this one at all? Yeah. Good. I quite like the art in bits. The art works brilliant, I thought. I thought the art was really cool in this one. Mm. Very economical, tells the story, doesn't skimp on the backgrounds. Enjoyed it immensely. Uh, We follow this up with another issue of Detective Comics. In this case, issue 670. Uh, This came out on November 30th, 1993. As another excellent Kelly Jones cover featuring the Batman in the morgue. Looking at a man with the top of his head missing. Did you like that? I thought that was really good. Um, Whilst the lumbering form of an abominable... Abominable... I could never say abominable... Abominable? uh, Yeah, you say it. I could never say that word even as a kid. Abominable. Thank you very much. Type creature lurches towards him. Again, this is a really good cover. Uh, The use of colour really helps it out, being a mixture of mostly blues and whites with the odd splash of orange and yellow here and there. God, I'm talking into Gokwam. Splash of colour, darling. Uh, all the same creative types uh, as the last time did their duty except the art this time is by the magnificent Barry Kitson mm. and Scott Hanna Batman does look good on this cover does he? yeah he does look a bit concerned on that cover but you'd probably look concerned as well if the abom- abominable, abominable snowman was say ah ah say bomb bomb in in <laughs> I can't say what apple thank you very much Scotty. yeah <laughs> Round the rugged rocks, the ragged rascal brand. I'm the Capitillo. Anyway, the story was called Cold Cases. But, um, yes. Christmas time in Gotham City. La 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 a petty mugging as two shoppers are robbed of their presence. But this isn't important enough for the new Batman. At police HQ, Rennie Montoya is given a stack of cold cases to pour over as criminals apparently take Christmas off. Bullock saves her from this when a stiff surfaces off the diamond pier. The body is frozen in ice, frozen from the inside out, the coroner tells Montoya and Bullock, and Montoya is ordered to stay and wait for it to thaw whilst Bullock heads to Blackgate Prison. The Batman, meantime, is making time fighting drug dealers. Montoya, meantime, steps out for a coffee and returns to find the body thawed out and disappeared. She recognises the armour left on the floor and quickly finds Colleen the coroner just as the lights go out. Montoya opens fire at a shambling figure, but misses. The Batman continues to fight drug dealers, but here's the shot. Colleen and Montoya track down the supposedly dead body, which isn't too difficult as it's leaving a trail wherever it goes. The Batman follows the sound of the shot to the morgue and finds Montoya. Colleen faints. They move her to somewhere comfortable and continue to track down Mr. Mystery Guest. Before long, however, he finds them and attacks them with the coroner's tools. He shatters a few liquid oxygen, oxygen bottles, almost freezing Montoya, and thrusts the coroner's cleaver in Batman's face. Liquid oxygen. Yes. It's the stuff they used to freeze things. I mean, you're interrupting my synopsis here, which is, you know, punishable by death. <laughs> but um, it actually says on the things that it's LO2 which is liquid oxygen, isn't it? 
Isn't that the scientific symbol for liquid ox- oxygen? I can't say bloody oxygen either! He shatters a few liquid oxygen bottles, almost freezing Montoya, and thrusts the coroner's cleaver in the Batman's face. The mystery guest remembers the Joker, but wants to know how long he's been asleep. Batman isn't in the mood for talking, mainly because this Batman has no idea what he's talking about, and slices at his hand with his implausibly spiky gloves of death, headbutts him with his armoured mask, and almost slits his throat before Montoya stops him. She points out that this is Mr. Freeze, which Batman didn't know, and Montoya notes that they got lucky. If Freeze had known it was winter, he'd have just walked out and they would never have caught him. The Batman disappears as Montoya wonders if she even knows him at all. I don't like a Batman who doesn't stop at crime. That's the point. You're not supposed to like this Batman. He's supposed to be an arrogant jerk. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't even attempt to, to stop the mugging on page one it. and two, does he? He's yeah, probably laughing. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Those kids all wake up looking forward to Christmas all year. The only day they look forward to. Because their parents are poor and work three jobs and don't have any money and could only buy their children one present but they're going to wake up this morning and have no presents at all Uh and they will cry sweet sweet tears (laughs) which will freeze because they can't afford heating (laughs) and they live in a run down house in the poor end of uh, Gotham whilst I live in a big mansion with central heating but they live in a cave with central heating with central heating Oh, go on. Uh, Batman looks damn cool in this issue. The, the art's fantastic. The art is really good, and his spiky gloves of doom even look somewhat practical. They do, actually. Page two, the the fourth panel on that page, they, they don't look ridiculous. Kind of implying that it's the artist that makes them look ridiculous. Even on that page, though. But, yeah, the art is fantastic in this. The last panel on page six kicks and does good capage, doesn't he? Yeah. The... First panel on page seven. Yeah, the art's brilliant. No problems with the artwork. Um, so, this is Mr. Freeze. Yes. Not the abominable snowman on the cover. Well, no, because if you actually look at the man on the cover and then look at Mr. Freeze in the issue, they look nothing alike. Yeah. Yes. So, who is the guy on the cover? It's I'm sure there's a Batman bad guy who looks like that. Yes, there is. Is there? Yeah, the, there is a villain called the Abominable. Did did they do that to Snowman? Yes, probably. Because I didn't know who this was until they said Mr. Freeze. No, I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't remember that Mr. Freeze had got beaten up by the Joker. Yeah, was um, he, Because I, was Mr. Freeze in Nightfall? I don't think so. Because what happened to put him in the stasis? That's true. Something to do with the Joker. See, that's what you could have done with the footnote. Yeah. Telling you what issue this happened in. But comics don't do footnotes anymore. I love the splash page to this. The juxtaposition of the shiny happy shoppers contrasted with the moody dark night swinging through the streets. In fact, we've already gushed over the art, but I love the first three pages. Uh, I'm a big fan of Barry Kitson. Uh, Kitson started uh, doing Marvel UK stuff. He did a special Spider-Man strip when Marvel UK decided against publishing stories featuring Spider-Man in his black costume. And I think that's the first place I noticed his name. Um... Yeah, the art in this entire issue is fantastic. Witness also the pulling the body out of the water and from the bottom of page four is brilliant. Mm. Um, I love the colouring on that as well. Adrian Roy did a really good back of the net. Adrian Roy did. She put it in the back of the net. Oh, she died not long ago. It's quite a shame that. Okay. Um, 
The shot of Batman on page 6, which we've already mentioned because of the cape, because it's brilliant. The top panel of page 8, where the Batman swoops down onto the bad guys, distracting the drug dealers with his laser pointer, is again fantastically coloured. His bright light. His bright light, bright. Montoya in panel 8 on page 9 is lovely. The Batman caught in torchlight on page 15 is fantastic. Mm. Um, we've already given kudos to Adrian Roy here for the excellent colouring job. Uh, it's a pity she won't hear us say it. That's quite sad, that. Um, the final panel's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, as you say, it, he does make the implausibly spiky gloves of death look practical. It's a fantastic, fantastic art job by Mr. Kitson. Who is that thought bubble? Yes. Should we get this signed? Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking I should get this signed. Okay. Uh, I'm even considering getting a sketch off him. I would even consider getting a Jean-Paul sketch yeah. off him. Simply because he makes his character look so cool. Wonder how much he charges for sketches. We'll have to. We'll consider that. Uh, there's some serious snow on page seven. If you have a look at how deep that snow is, that looks like a good ten inches worth of snow. Probably more. Yeah. Given that that car is pretty much covered in it. Mm. That's really good. Um, I know coincidence is a storytelling tool. And if you were to count out every time a coincidence occurs in superhero comics, you'd quickly run out of fingers. But it really is exceptionally lucky that in a city the size of Gotham, Batman just happens to be close enough to the morgue to hear that gunshot. Isn't it? It's it's very lucky. Uh, page 16, Montoya really does say freeze. I don't know if that was an intentional joke. I'm a robot, not a refrigerator. Yeah, fair enough. Page 20. This Batman really likes the Glasgow case, doesn't he? He's all for headbutting people. This is the second time he's used it in two months' worth of issues. The old headbutt. Um, I thought that was a fantastic one-issue storyline. You know it was a good Christmas issue? Well, That Hitman one. Yes, it was great. We're not talking about Hitman. Well, no, it's Batman relevant. Was Batman in it? It's based in Gotham and Batman's in it. Well, I don't remember. A bit. Um, I bang, we've banged on about the art enough, so I don't think we need to but go it on is, about yeah. that. It is. I don't mean to put Graham Nolan... Nolan I don't mean to put Graham Nolan down. He's a great artist, but Kitson's work in this issue is just exceptional. It's a well-told, done-in-one tale in which another member of the supporting cast, in this case Montoya, gets the spotlight, adding credence to my supposition that this Batman is a one-note cipher, deliberately giving the writers time to flesh out the other characters in the book. The Gotham City Police Department were important characters at this time, and this would lead to them getting their own book, the excellent Gotham Central, before the writers that followed this team would trash all this work and remove all the good characters from it. Uh, the letters page as a letter from R.G. Bleak Jr. I'm probably massacring that name, who still writes a column for Comic Book Resources, and the ads in this issue are for trading cards. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and Basketball Games, Best of the Best, The Lost Dimension, Game Genie and Robocop vs. Terminator. Wasn't but, that a Frank Miller story? Yes. Yes, it was, wasn't it? Frank Miller and Walt Simonson did that. Mm. Best of all, uh, the ads for the upcoming Superboy Spiel and Spiel, Steel and Supergirl books, Wayne's World 2. Party time. Excellent. But my personal favourite, the final page advert for Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Still the best Batman movie ever, possibly. Yeah. Although we did like Under the Red Hood, didn't we? Well, I did. Even though it's based on a Judd Winnick comic. Mm. Even though it was written by Judd Winnick. Yeah. The whole thing was written by Judd Winnick. Will that make you want to read the Judd Winnick comic? Probably not, no. <laughs> Finally tonight, 
blimey, doesn't time fly when you're having fun? <laughs> We're already at the end. Uh, a quick look at Robin number two, which, according to the magnificently wonderful Mike's Awarding World of DC Comics, amazing, amazing um, uh, located at www.dcindexes.com, came out on November the 2nd, 1993, but has a December 1993 cover date. It was called Busted, not after the boy band, and was written by Chuck Dixon with art by the magnificent Tom Grummet and Ray Kreising, who also did the cover. Very briefly, story synopsis. The story picks up directly from last issue, with Robin facing off against Shotgun Smith. Robin tries to explain who he is, but Shotgun wants to take him to Juvie Hall, so Robin fires off a quick barrage of CS gas and burns rubber in his car, Redbird. The four hoods from last issue have convinced Dr. Flanders to bring them a gun, and they break out, but there is animosity between Cluemaster and Cypher. Back home, Robin gets a call from Alfred, who brings him up to speed on what's happening in Night's Quest The Search, and he tells Alfred about Jean-Paul. The Clue Masker has had enough of Cypher and shoots him dead as they escape. Robin decides to take his mind off his dad by tracking down the Speed Boys from last issue. With deductive reasoning, he tracks them down, but one of them spots Redbird, but via remote control, Robin spooks them. He nips into their hideout to get a little evidence and report them to the police, but is interrupted by a huge bruiser. After some McFightenstein, Robin calls Redbird in via his aforementioned remote control and knocks Bruiser Boy down, but the other Speed Boys show up before Robin can leave. Fortunately, they are no match for the boy wonder, and he tips off Shotgun Smith before calling it a night. Meantime, Bullock and Montoya informed the Clue Master has escaped. And there you go, that was Robin number two. Did you like this one? Yeah. Why are you not digging on this? I'm not a fan of Robin. Oh, Tim Drake's great! And the art's great! I like and the stories are great! I just don't like Robin. Oh, fair enough. Did you not even like Robin when he was Robin? When Dick Grayson was Robin? Uh, Although you've never read the new Teen Titans, have you? No. Yeah. I, I prefer him as Nightwing. Yeah, okay, fair enough. This isn't him, though. This is Tim Drake. I know. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'm not, I'm not Tim Drake. Yes. Uh, page five. Yes. Is this, like, Simpson Flanders fetish or something? What? Um... Yes, teacher. And will I get a good grade? Oh no, he's been brainwashed. I, I, I know, I know. Oh, right. brainwashed. Comedy value. I was trying to be funny. Oh, let's see. Okay, fair enough. Trying very, very hard. <laughs> Go on. Uh, page eight, panel four. Yes. How long has Alfred had a bride of Frankenstein stripe in his hair? <laughs> yeah, um, I noticed that. Is it? They've drawn Tom Grummet's drawn him with too much hair, hasn't he? Mm. Is what it is. And they've kind. Of, They've tried to cover it up in the colouring job, and just made it. You made you draw, made your eye be drawn to it even more <laughs> than if they just left it. Because he is only in that one panel. Oh no, he's in the next panel as well. So either way, they're over in England. Alfred's out of her weave because he's quite bouffanty as well. I say you only live once. I yeah. think in my hair. And look, look, something I didn't notice. Look what's outside of the window. It's Big Ben. How do we know we're in England? How do we know we're in England? Because Big Ben's out the window. We've discussed this before. If you're in Paris, the Eiffel Tower will be outside the window. If you're in New York, the Empire State Building will be outside your window. If you're in LA, the Hollywood sign will be outside your window. If you live in England, then you know the Queen. Yes, we're all mates and with the Queen. you're drinking bits, and you're drinking mates with Paul McCartney. I am. I, I got with Macca. 
Yeah. I used to jump with uh, John Lennon too. Did you? I did. Yeah. That's well, quite impressive, given that he was dead 15 years before you were born. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good like that. Mm-hmm. Carry on. Uh, Robin's car. Yeah. This may just be me, but it looks a bit like DeLorean, especially on page nine, yes. panel four. From the, the back. Back. It looks like the. It does look like the time machine from Back to the Future. Yeah. I wonder if it runs on rubbish. <laughs> well, it is in this comic. Oh. oh! Oh, I'm just not having none of this oh. filth. I don't know what all that filth is. <laughs> it's the cat. Yeah, probably. Oh, right, yes, the cat had a note for this issue as well. While Michael was typing his notes, the cat decided to walk over the keyboard. Do you wish to give the cat's note? Yes. Thank you for that, Chester. Was it Chester? Yes. I'm glad that you liked the issue. I completely disagree with you, and I think this was a fantastic issue all round. I think it was jolly good fun. I think Dixon has an excellent handle on Tim Drake and the action set pieces are believable and fun to read, especially under the pencil of Tom Grummet, an excellent artist whose work always reminds me a lot of Kerry Gamel, and like Gamel, who never hit the big leads as he deserved to. Uh, we will continue to cover Robin in passing as we continue, but it doesn't cross over directly into Night's Quest until much later. Uh, that about wraps it up for this week uh, do you have any final thoughts on this Night's Quest story no good well I'm glad I have you as my Wookiee <laughs> co-pilot on this journey through the five firings of Fornax at least I uh, stay committed to one podcast oh what a bitch <laughs> uh, next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics we'll be looking at Catwoman issue 6 Batman issue 503, Batman issue 504, Catwoman 7, and Robin number 3. I bet you can't wait for that, can you? Nope. No, okay, okay. Uh, join us. Yes, join us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You're not going to say bye? Bye. Well he goes to school by day, he fights crime by night. He's daring and dashing, this young got the mic. Holy porcupine quills. Holy mammal, it's Robin the Boy Wonder. Robin the Boy Wonder. He's a kid crime fighter with a mask and a cape. And when he gets in a fix, he makes a narrow escape. Holy snail shells, holy gastro pie. Well, it's Robin the Boy Wonder. Robin the Boy Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at apleyland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We 
also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, dot com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. He and Batman, Red Gotham of Crime, he's a gymnastic whiz, knows a secret bad skill, he's a barrel of laughs, he's a bucket of thrills, holy trapeze artist, holy swinger, he's driving the boy wonder, driving the boy wonder.